This chapel message is brought to you by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, I want to talk today about a subject about being reconciled. The idea of being reconciled is something that I've been working on for quite some time. Uh, I've been working through some issues biblically and trying to help provide some counsel to some people uh, that are in situations that need to be reconciled. And uh, so I was talking to Mike one day and I said, Mike, I'm going to do a, a chapel message on this at some point. And uh, so there's a cancellation today, so I'm <clears throat> going to step in and going to do this. But how many of you have looking through the lens of a broken relationship? Maybe you're looking through the lens of a broken relationship. You can think of some relationship in your life, maybe uh, with a close friend, a family member, a coworker, something like that, that you can find yourself in the, in looking through the lens of a broken relationship and it's in, impacting uh, the vision. I can tell you as I've traveled a lot this summer, I've met a lot of people who are in broken relationships. I've been to camp meetings and I'm used to doing a lot of camp meetings where they have a healing service and used to people coming up to saying, pray for me because I've got, you know, cancer or I've got this heart issue or things like that. And can't tell you the number of people that came up to me this summer at camp meetings and said, would you pray for healing for my broken relationships? We have not spoken to our kids in several years. We haven't spoken to a a sibling in, in years, and that needs to be broken. There are a lot of us who are looking through the, through the lens of a broken relationship, and we need to be reconciled. The problem is we don't really understand what the word means. We don't really fully understand uh, what this concept's all about. And, and I meet people all the time who are want, they're using the word reconcile, but they don't really know what it means. And I come to understand in my study of this that not all parties that need to be reconciled uh, will concede to proceed in the process of being reconciled. Let me say that again. Not all the parties that need to be reconciled will concede or agree to uh, proceeding in the process. And I've underlined the word process here because what we really want you to understand is you totally, we totally misunderstand this word if we think it's just an event. The idea of reconciliation is a process. If you think you're going to solve this, if you're like, want to kind of get this thing done, if it's, a, if it's an event, then you're going to be greatly disappointed because it's really a, a process. Well, what does, what does the word mean? The, the word means uh, uh, that uh, you, it's kind of to come together. The flow together again is the idea of reconciliation. It means to live in harmony. It's an exchange where you exchange something. Have you ever gotten a gift that didn't, that didn't quite fit real well or maybe it wasn't the, the, even the kind of gift or outfit that you'd wear and you take it back in and and you uh, trade it out for something better. But when you exchange something, you're, you're exchanging something that doesn't work for something that, that does work. And in reconciliation, you're exchanging a broken relationship for one that is repaired and in the process of being rebuilt. Reconciliation assumes the idea of a broken relationship. And so the, the, we start with this idea of reconciliation with understanding that there's a, there's a broken relationship. There's a break in a relationship. There's a crack in the mirror, there's a crack in the lens, and we're looking through this broken relationship that needs to be repaired. As I began to think about this thing, Precept Ministries describes reconciliation as this. It's moving from enmity to amity. Enmity, which is feeling of hostility or antagonism, animosity or ill will towards between two parties, moving into amity, which describes a cooperative and supportive relationship between the two parties. And those are two radically different things. 
Wayne Gruden said this, he defines it as follows, the removal of enmity and the restoration of fellowship between two different parties. So we're starting with this idea that restoration starts with two parties, uh, a relationship that's been broken. And just briefly this morning, I wish I had time this morning to go into this, but I'm I'm just going to kind of highlight these three responsibilities we have to reconciliation. There's three times in the Bible we're told to be reconciled. One is to God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, talks about being reconciled to God. The other, second time we're told in the Bible to do that is uh, with one another, Matthew chapter 5, verse 24. And the third responsibility we have in terms of being reconciled is helping others reconcile to God. Paul talks about this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 and 18. He describes it as the ministry of reconciliation. So we're, we have a responsibility to, for us to be reconciled to God. Again, I wish I had the time to break that down for us, why reconciliation was important because of the fall of sin. We need to reconcile, first of all, to God. Then we have a responsibility to reconcile with one another if we have a broken relationship and we're in that situation. But the third responsibility we have is to help other people reconcile. We're understanding that as believers, as followers of Christ, there are sometimes we can be the moderator, sometimes we can be a mediator between two parties that are broken, we can bring them together and have that responsibility. But today I want to kind of look at this particular verse of Scripture, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26, which is the story where we're told to be reconciled to one another, this responsibility of being reconciled to one another. So I want to pick up the reading in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26, and it says this, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, And then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to the court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every last penny. If you bring a gift to the altar, and there you remember that someone has odds against you and you're in a broken relationship, leave the gift and first go and be reconciled. Well, it's an interesting story. Jesus warns his Jewish audience to imagine a man is, uh, and his family is taking a sacrifice to the temple in Jerusalem. When Jesus writes this particular story and tells this story and preaches this message, he's in Galilee right now, which is about 70 miles from Jerusalem. And those who are hearing this story and hearing this sermon for the first time would have recognized the difference between uh, Galilee and the distance to go to Jerusalem to take the sacrifice there. This man and his family don't travel to Jerusalem very often because it's 70 miles away. It's quite a distance to travel uh, to be able to to extend there. And so it's a once a year, maybe twice a year event where they go and they take their sacrifice or purchase a sacrifice in Jerusalem as the the book of Leviticus tells them to do. They, They are to bring a male calf or a sheep or a goat and sacrifice it to the Lord annually there before the Lord. Now, 70 miles. Uh, the point of the story is that there's a great extent that we're to go to reconcile. I began to think about this idea of the 70 miles, 
And I think it's a key part of the story. Um, I, do, I buy a lot of things on Facebook Marketplace. I don't know how many of you like to do that. I'm always looking for something I don't need uh, on Facebook Marketplace. But I have a 40-mile limit to what I'll kind of travel. If I see something I'm looking for, if it's within a kind of a 40, maybe 50 miles, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in the vehicle and go get that great deal, something I really don't need. But I've kind of limited to that 40, 50 miles. This is a 70-mile uh, range. This is outside most of our range of our Facebook Marketplace limit. 70 miles, the extent that, that uh, you're willing to go to, to reconcile with one. So, so Jesus is describing a very costly moment for this particular family because they've gathered a lamb or they've purchased a lamb, they've gone into the temple, they've prevent, presented their offering to the, to the priest, and they're about ready to, to offer the sacrifice when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brings to their remembrance so a, a broken relationship they have. We don't know any details about the broken relationship other than the fact that it's now broken. And the Holy Spirit says, listen, you can't continue to offer the sacrifice that you've done. You've got to go home and settle matters and then come back and to make your sacrifice. Now, we have a tendency to read right over that, but look at this map here. I want you to see the distance. Remember, we're outside our Facebook marketplace averages of, of, of well, the range we're willing to travel all the time. Remember, Galilee is 70 miles from Jerusalem. So let's just figure this out. This family has traveled uh, together for their annual sacrifice, and they've traveled 70 miles to Jerusalem. And there they're at their altar bringing sacrifice to the Lord. When they realize through the Holy Spirit that they're now at odds with someone, they're in a broken relationship, and the Holy Spirit says you're supposed to go back. So that's how long? another 70 miles back home to settle the matter. They go back, they leave their sacrifice there in the temple, they gather the family. Can you imagine being the family? Can you imagine being the spouse? She's getting this word from her husband. Hey, we've got to make a quick trip back to Jerusalem. What quick trip? There is no quick trip. It's 70 miles. Uh, we're walking this or riding this by animal. They get back home. He settles the matter, and then he does what he has to do. He's left his sacrifice in Jerusalem, and so he's now going to make a trip back to Jerusalem, which is what? Another 70 miles, and then when they make the sacrifice with a good heart and the restored relationship, where is it now? Now what is he going to do? Is he going to live in Jerusalem, or is he going to go back home to Galilee? And so now this man has traveled a total of 280 miles to reconcile with a brother with a broken relationship. And Jesus teaches us, his disciples, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, and previously that the disciples willing to go the extra mile. And today I want to talk about the extra mile to reconcile. The extra mile to reconcile. What is involved? And so Jesus puts this incredible context. And we're to be reconciled with our brothers and our, and our sisters. Listen, we're willing to leave the gift there at worship. We're willing to go the 70 miles, 70 miles, 70 miles, and then 70 miles back to worship. And to present our offer just to make things right. So as I've been studying this idea of reconciliation and what it really means, let me just share a few of the highlights with you, some things that I've observed, and maybe it will be a help to you as you think about maybe a broken relationship that you're in and uh, something that, that, you need to, that you're struggling with trying to repair. Maybe some of you here today have done absolutely everything you can do to restore a relationship. Cheryl and I got picked up uh, in an airport in Texas a few months ago. Uh, the pastor was supposed to pick us up. We are at a missions conference. He got sick, so someone else in the church came to pick us up. And it ended up being a divine appointment because they began to share with us a story about their son that they hadn't spoken to in over three years. They had done everything they could do to repair the relationship, and it only got worse. It got worse, worse, worse. Finally, the father realized, he said, I've done everything I can do. So every day before he went to work, he drove to the church. He had a key to the church. He walked in, he knelt at the altar, and he prayed every day for God to restore the relationship. 
And the afternoon that they picked us up at the Dallas airport to take us to speak at a missions conference, they had just tears streaming down their faces. They had just got a phone call from their daughter-in-law who asked if they could meet together. God had done what they couldn't do. Every time they tried to restore it and repair it and reconcile the relationship, it just got worse. But God had to step in. Let me share with you these couple of things if we're going to go the extra mile. Number one, reconciliation is a priority for true worship. Reconciliation is a priority for true worship. Verse 24, but first, leave. You're there, you're worshiping. Many of us would rationalize and say something like this. Well, I'll deal with it when I get home. This is so important to our worship because this is impacted by this. Our relationship with one another impacts our relationship with God. And when we're at odds here, there's going to be a block in this relationship right here. And some of us are wondering why things aren't going the way they should be. It's because we're in a relationship that maybe we haven't done everything we can do to solve. See, worship involves examination, not explanation. Worship involves examination. God, search my heart, see if there's anything within me. Most of us come to our worship times with an explanation of why we feel what we feel and why we're doing what we're doing. And we do a lot more explaining. Well, God, here's the reason why I'm in this relationship. They won't do, they won't bend. I've tried to reconcile this and they won't, they won't, they won't. And we do a whole lot of explanation rather than examination. And so the Bible says that we've got to come together and realize that reconciliation is a priority for true worship. William Barclay points out that the people who heard this the first time would have understood clearly that worship required true repentance. You could never bring a gift to the altar knowing that you, were, you weren't uh, reconciled with somebody. They understood how important that true repentance was. And if they weren't uh, reconciled, then they would not have offered the gift. Number one, that reconciliation is a priority in true worship. Number two, uh, the second thing I would recommend is, I suggest to you, is reconciliation is a process to be pursued. It is a process to be pursued. Be reconciled. As I said a moment ago, I think uh, it's a process that leads to progress. It's not the express lane, right? A lot of people treat this idea of uh, being reconciled, uh, instead of a process, they treat it like a repo. They treat it like they're repossessing something. Okay, I got a broken relationship, and I'm just going to go back, and I'm going to claim that thing back, and I'm going to step in, and I'm going to, we're going to fix this broken relationship. And they walk in to repo the relationship. And what happens? Because they come in aggressive and to repo the relationship, they only make things matters worse. And they forget that this is a process. And if you catch nothing else I say today, I want you to understand that reconciliation is a process, not event. If we don't go through the process, we'll never make any progress. By the way, it's an ongoing process. When you go and reconcile, you're beginning the process of rebuilding a relationship. And it's so important to understand this concept that you're not going to fix the relationship. You're not going to repair the relationship if we don't first get to the point where we realize I'm entering a process of restoring this relationship. Number three, reconciliation focuses on reconnecting, not resolution. Reconciliation uh, focuses uh, uh, on reconciliation and not resolution. Um, So what happens? Most of the time people want to resolve something, right? Right. And they think, okay, well, I'm going to do my part to, to resolve this thing. And, and they, they, they come, they build their arguments. They, they, they forget that this is a process. And rather than focusing on reconnecting and, and uh, facilitating the relationship, they just focus on, man, I've I got to prove to you why I'm right and, and kind of focus on uh, the resolution of this matter and solving this matter and making uh, things better. Um, so 
I've, I spoke at several camps this summer, and uh, about a week before I went to this large camp, I realized that I was going to know someone at this camp. It was kind of started to stress a little bit because I remembered that years ago, about eight years ago, I had a staff member I had to fire and had just cause for firing him. And uh, we were, he, obviously he was a, kind of a mentoring relationship and we were very close, but he had done some things that just left me with no option, but I had to fire him. And I realized that this was his home camp. There's like 3,000 people at this camp, so I'm thinking to myself, first of all, what's the chances we're going to run into this guy, right? And so there's probably not too much of a chance. And probably when he finds out that I'm speaking, he's not coming anyways, right? Because it, the relationship ended not so well. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to be okay. So I, that night there was a special uh, uh, college event there at Bethel University, and, and I told him how much I like uh, key lime pie. And so they, they had, went out and got some for me, so I had to go to this event. So I go walking in, they hand me this key lime pie with extra raspberry drizzle on it. And I sit down and I glance over the table next to me. There's hundreds of people at this event. And I look over and here's this guy and his wife that I've had to fire before. And I'm thinking, what are the chances I'm going to see this guy? Now I'm sitting next to him. And I'm working on this sermon on re- uh, reconciliation. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I got I to okay, fix this thing. So as soon as the thing's done, I jump up from my seat and I go walking over to this couple. And as soon as they saw me coming, they turned and wa- ran out the other door as fast as they could. I thought to myself, hey, I've done everything I can do to resolve this relationship. I'm, I'm, I'm good, right? I, I did my part. So unfortunately, I had Cheryl with me. And, um, and so she's like feeling really bad. I said, well, honey, like, honey, I did everything I do. I got up, I went to him, they, went out the, they ran out the other door. She said, you'll, you'll never be able to preach that message if you don't fix this up. I said, well, if God's leading you to do that, why don't you reach out to her and see if she'll meet? Because I said, I'm going to tell you right now, they're, they're not going to meet together. She says, okay. So she texts the wife and said, hey, we'd, we'd really like to spend some time with you. Is there any way we could, could connect while we're here at camp? And to our surprise, they both responded back and said, yes. So they show up. It's a really incredibly awkward moment. So you can just imagine it's been almost eight years since we've seen her talk to these guys. Last, last event, I, I had to fire him, remove his keys, everything, and, and walk him out the door from the, from the building of the church. So it was a bit awkward, and so I, I said to him, I said, listen, um, I'm working on a message right now, and I can't, I can't continue any farther until we, until we repair this relationship. So what I want to ask you is, would you be willing to begin the process of repairing and rebuilding a relationship? He said, well, I want to I go back and talk about that day you fired me. And I listened to him for a while, and I finally said to him, I said, you know, called him by name, and I said, um, I really don't think that's going to be most helpful because you have a perspective and I have a perspective, and they're probably different. But I said, what I really want to talk to you about today is beginning the process of rebuilding this relationship. I'm not, I'm not wanting to resolve this thing. I'm not wanting to prove that I'm right or you are wrong or, or anything else. I just, want to, I just want to have this conversation with you to see if you would be at all willing to rebuild the relationship. You see, reconciliation focuses on reconnecting, not on resolution. Number four, reconciliation focuses on, um, I've got an extra slide there. Reconciliation only requires you to do your part. It only requires you to do your part. You see, the Bible says as much as depends on you, we're to live at peace with all people. Now, I thought I, thought I had gone the extra mile. I thought I had gone my, because I got up and started heading over to him, and I thought, man, I've done my thing, and I, I'm, I'm going to be good. But I hadn't done everything within our part. 
Had they responded back to Cheryl's text and said, no, we're not interested in uh, having a conversation with you, then okay, we had done everything we knew how to do and we'd have to leave it in God's hands. Because sometimes in reconciliation, you've done everything you can do and you can't fix it. There are many relationships, parents who've done everything they can do to, to restore and repair the relationship, and they've done everything. <clears throat> they've had conversations, they've prayed, they've had people fasting, they've done everything they can do, but now it's in God's hands. Number six, when reconciliating, uh, when reconciling, their response is not your responsibility. Their response is not your responsibility. It's something really key to, to understand when we think about this idea of, you know, I need to do my part, I've got to do my part, not their part, and I need to set the example, not the expectation. I'm, I'm, you're not going to that party saying, hey, okay, I, I want to rebuild our relationship here and, and just waiting. Have you ever done that? You're like, okay, you went to them, I'm really sorry about this broken relationship, and you're waiting on them to say, me too, and I really want to repair this thing, and I want it to all be made better. Listen, you don't go into this process expecting anything in return. When you begin the process of reconciliation, you go to them. I had no expectation that this guy would say to me, yeah, that sounds great. Fully expected for him to even say, I don't know if I can say that to you yet. Okay, I just wanted to ask if we could begin the process of reconciling. But their response is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be responsible because Romans, again, says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Hebrews 12, verse 14, make every effort to be at peace with all men. The next one is when reconciling, um, we need to uh, remember that their response is not a responsibility. And then lastly, reconciliation should proceed in a posture of prayer, deep humility, great respect, love, gentleness and kindness, confessing, not confronting, depending, not defending, and expecting nothing in return. Just think about that. How do you go into it? A lot of prayer. Don't go into this without prayer. A deep, deep sense of humility. If I was advising you today or coaching you today on going into a, a conversation with someone in a broken relationship, you got to go with deep humility. Any pride, any arrogance, any like, you did this, isn't going to work. I'm, I told this guy, I said, I'm, I'm sad today that our relationship ended. I, again, I'm not getting into the, the details of what happened because I had every responsibility as an employer to remove this guy for what the actions that he had done. It was with deep humility, great respect, sense of love and gentleness and kindness, confessing, not confronting. You know, a lot of times we go into these things. Well, you did this, and when you did this, it made me mad, and I acted this way, and I did this because you did this. You know how that helps the relationship? It, it doesn't get any better. Depending on the Holy Spirit to work here and not defending our own position and expecting absolutely nothing in return. Well, the question is, does it work? Sure it does. Reconciliation works when it's done as a process in the right sense. Remember Joseph and his brothers? The relationship was broken. God brought it back together. Remember Paul and John Mark? They were together, they split up, and God brought them back together. Again, I wish I had the time to go into all these details. Remember Jacob and Esau? Broken relationship, no hope. God brings it back together. Prodigal son had wandered off, away from the father, broken relationship, restored. Philemon and Onesimus, a working relationship, Broken, severed, no chance this is ever going to work out, except for the power of God 
Because if we understand our three responsibilities of being reconciled to God and reconciling to one another and helping others to reconcile with God and with one another, it makes a big difference. So the extra mile to reconcile. Reconciling is the best solution to stop recycling old wounds, hurts, and disappointments and to begin the process of moving forward. It's reconciling is the best solution because there's a lot of people today who are just recycling old wounds, old hurts, and old conversations and old problems over and over and over again. And they're never able to come together. They're never able to kind of bring it together. But reconciling is, is this step, a process that we begin to move forward where we begin to do our part and rely on the Holy Spirit to bring harmony and to let this relationship flow. When I think about this idea of um, reconciling, I think about these two train tracks. And depends on, on the relationship, how far apart they are. But in a, in, a, in a broken relationship, you're on two sets of tracks and you just seem to be going sometimes parallel different directions and there doesn't seem to be any intersection and the possibility of coming together. But... And reconciliation, these two tracks, these two broken relationships can begin to come together through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in history, I'll read this quote to you. The moments during which reason and reconciliation prevail are short and fleeting. In a world riddled with conflict, it seems that harmony is merely a lofty aspiration. Yet Scripture encourages believers to strive for reconciliation in a world of conflict. And, and, and right now, I would dare guess that absolutely everyone in here is in a relationship somewhere that's been broken along the way. Some recent, some many years. And what do we do with that? Well, they were wrong. If you bring your gift to the altar to worship God. And there the Holy Spirit works on you and says, you need to do something about this. Take a step. Begin the process. I was going to preach this message at another camp. As some of you know that um, at the, the big camp I was telling you about, I uh, had a terrible storm, hailstorm that came up uh, right during the middle of my talk. And it was the most difficult uh, talk I've ever pre sermon I've ever preached in my life because you're gonna hear a thing. I kept on preaching, I kept laboring through it, and I got sat down. And I was wore out. And Cheryl said they didn't hear a word you said. <laughs> okay, and so I had just preached through that. So I go to the next camp, and it's the first night, and there's her, her, her tornadoes coming through uh, Lancaster County, and so I thought, you know, this message on reconciliation really has to get out. So I'm gonna wait on this. Until uh, there's not a hurricane or, or tornado coming through to the service that night. And so I, I'm, I'm pulling out another sermon to preach that night. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, what, what are you doing? I laid it on your heart to preach this message tonight. And I don't care if there's three people there. You preach that message. Well, there was a much reduced crowd that night because the county had been impacted by the tornadoes that had gone through. And, but they went ahead and had the service anyways. And so I'm thinking, okay, did my thing. And... Uh, the next night, I'm on my way to dinner, and a lady pulls me aside, and she said, um, hey, I just want to thank you for last night. I couldn't make it because of the storm. We had trees down everywhere. Uh, but she said, um, I watched online, and as a result of that message, I called my sister that I hadn't spoken to in over three years, and I said, I am sorry 
that our relationship is broken and can we begin the process of repairing this relationship? I just want to let you know we've set up lunch this week and we're going to meet together. Now, I'm going to tell you this uh, staff member that I, that I had to dismiss. Um, I can't say that we've planned a vacation together yet, <laughs> but they did graciously come back and say, yeah, we, we, would, we would be interested in beginning the process of rebuilding the relationship. And since that camp, I've had several opportunities to text him and just talk to him and encourage him. And there was some things in his church that he needed help. And I knew some people uh, because of my relationship in our denomination that I was able to reach out on his behalf and, and do some things on his behalf. Uh, just again, just trying to begin the process of rebuilding the relationship. You know, the Bible says how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. So today, if there's a crack in the lens that you're looking through and the relationships in your life, then I want to challenge you to take a step in the process, whatever God leads you to do. So here's the, here's the action for today's chapel service. It may be you need to call somebody after chapel. Maybe you need to email someone. Maybe if it's someone here on staff, maybe you need to go to their office and just say, hey, there's something between us, and I don't want there to be something between us, and I want to make sure that we're okay and to begin the process of being reconciled. Now, if you're here today and there's something that's come between you and God, that's another good thing to do, another action step. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to one another. And maybe there's someone here today who has the, has the right chair to be able to bring two others together or someone else to God as a ministry of reconciliation. Father, I pray that you'd use this message today to challenge us, speak to our hearts today, and I pray that, Lord, that we would uh, be encouraged by your word. Help us to begin the process. Help us to not treat this like a repossession uh, in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to um, be able to um, see true reconciliation and help us to understand what this is all about. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.